Hi, Lisa. Hey, Julie. It's kind of a sad week this week in the running world. It has been a little bit. Yeah. On Tuesday, um, super sad. Uh, Gabe Grunwald, who is a professional, was a professional runner and um, just an amazing person who um, passed away of a rare cancer, adenoid cancer, at age 32 on Tuesday after a nine-year battle. And she really embraced her obstacle and continued running through cancer as much as she could. And what was really amazing about Gabe is somehow she figured out a way to channel her disappointment from not being able to run the way she should be running without cancer into a platform where she really, she and her husband, Justin, did an amazing job of um, really bringing to the public's attention what rare cancer looks like and why research is necessary. And I just have followed her Instagram. I know so many of us feel connected to her, even though we don't know her. And it's just such a shame and so sad. And she was such a bright light in the running community and uh, not much to say, just be brave like Gabe. Right. And I think she's inspired a lot of people. And um, like the people we've been talking to in our podcast really had an impact. And like you said, even people who never met her, that's kind of the common theme that we're hearing is like, I felt like I knew her because she was so candid and open with her journey. And I think it just makes us appreciate what we have even more and gives us a good example to follow Yeah, of a, of a great positive attitude and taking mm-hmm. the lemons that you get and making lemonade as best you can. So true. I mean, Gabe was a phenomenal runner. But she will not be remembered for her PRs. She'll be remembered um, on how she handled her obstacle with grace and made I think the impact that she yeah. had, the, the reach that she had. It's really amazing to see how how far how far her her experiences uh, and and her message reached. So um, it is it is a sad, but it's also been a little bit. Uh, encouraging to see the running community come together and acknowledge what she what she contributed. Like you said, it wasn't the running. It wasn't her PRs. It wasn't her times. No one's talking about that. They're talking about what she gave us as a community and even broader than the running community. Definitely. So, yeah. So speaking of which, we, we had a fun weekend last weekend um, at, at the Lawyers Have Heart race, which you're on the executive committee and happy to say that you got to get out on the race course, which we won't say you raced, but you got to get out on the race course. <laughs> yeah, it was really great. Um, I'm proud to say once again, um, Lawyers of Heart in DC raised well over a million dollars toward the American Heart Association in the greater Washington area. And the race went off uh, without a hitch. It was actually great weather for that race. And Lisa, you raced the 10K and placed uh, second masters it turned out to be third after they had they, they figured out the the uh, they had a couple miscategorizations with the elite athletes. That's but right. Whatever. So once they worked out the results, third masters. But I found out just yesterday that that came with money, which was very yes. very exciting. Um, just kind of a bonus. Not not definitely nothing that I expected, but it was a great great race. I was looking back because I was trying to figure out when was the first year that I ran it. My first year I ran it was the second year I was practicing law in 2000. And that was the year I actually remember helping organize my team from my law firm. And um, I ran it pretty much every year until I stopped practicing. And then I went back once after, which was 11 years ago. And then I haven't been back since. So it was really neat to be back. The race has grown and has um, really 
become a wonderful and amazing, right? Huge. It was over 4,000 runners, I think. Yes. Total really big race. So, yes. um, so it was, it was neat to be back and uh, a bonus to do well. And we had, uh, some of our runners there and one of our virtual runners, we hadn't get, hadn't had a chance to meet yet was there and she did great too. She was, um, came in right behind me. So pretty speedy race for her as well. So that was, that was a fun morning. Yeah, that was Kate Reen. She did a great job. Um, it was a fun morning. I was really excited to have the opportunity to see all of our work come to fruition. And I was also excited to have the opportunity to walk the race. I walked the 5k with, uh, my dear friend, Lori Schur, who's also on the executive leadership team with me. And, uh, we had a great time and it was, uh, it's an out and back course. I was still able to see you. And that was awesome. That was so much fun to get to see you on the course. so. So it was the first time I put a race bib on since, uh, my injury. And, um, my last time I put a race bib on was in March, uh, right before my injury, when I ran the Reston 10 miler race. And so, so it was just nice to be back in that environment. And uh, the cherry on top was after that was over, I had my follow-up with Dr. Sanders, and he gave me the great news that I can start walk running. So that's exactly what I did on Monday night with Noah, my son. He went out with me to keep me honest because he's like, Mom, I'm going to go with you because... He knows. He knows. Like, I want to make sure you actually like, walk, run, and it was really sweet. Aww. So we it went out. Nice time to spend together. It was. It's so we went out for about twenty minutes, and we would run for a little bit. And he was the one that was like, "Should you be walking?" So we went around the neighborhood, and I felt really good. Um, my legs felt. I, I said this in my Instagram post about it. I felt like a doe. Like my legs just felt so sort of wobbly. But once I'm not used to that no. muscular sense, they're not used to the coordination no. of running for, you know, for a few months. It's been, you stopped running. What was, do you remember when it was, you stopped oh, running? Gosh, it was um, late March right. when so my knee April, buckled. May and half of June. Yeah. So it's been a really it's been a while. good amount of time. And I've been working really hard um, with, um, rehab to perform in pro-action physical therapy, and um, also with Eric Giroux. All these people have had me doing a lot of strength training, but also I've started doing some plyometrics within reason. I'm not doing box jumps, but just things to kind of connect my um, my brain to my body and help get that spring back, and it's really helping. So already from last week to this week, I'm able to do more agility ladder drills, and my hopping has gotten much better. It's not perfect, but it's better, and it's good enough that I can run, walk. So I went out again two days later yesterday and also did another run, walk for longer. And that was for 30 minutes run, walk. I felt great. So what are your intervals that you're doing right now? So I'm still doing one minute on, one minute off. But when I'm running on, I'm really focusing on my form because it's it's such a luxury to be able to do that. Generally, we go out, we have to, you know, I'm going to run five miles today or whatever it is, but I'm really trying to just pay attention and make sure I'm not favoring one side. And well, of course I can't fully control that. I, I feel like I'm, I'm being more aware and hopefully I'm drilling that into me because I have, I'm tentative. Um, you know, I had surgery on my knee. Like I just feel tentative, but I, I don't need to. So I'm trying to just sort of drill my, my, my brain, like, and tell myself, I can do this, I can do this. Um, and that's plenty. And then what I've been doing is cycling. So it's been, it's, it's, I feel already so much lighter knowing that I can start this process. And I, I definitely felt like I could go farther, but I, I'm controlling it. And so in addition to that, I'm doing all kinds of drills 
So I'm pretty tired. I'm, I'm working hard. I'm working just as hard as if I were regularly running with all of this stuff. Uh, so and you're being smart about it. Yeah. And I'm how really do you trying. deal? How do you deal with the with that urge to go out? I mean, it must be hard to go out and run a minute, walk a minute, run a minute, walk a minute. Just from a I don't know an ego standpoint, or I, I know you're grateful to be out there, but do you have? Do you feel like that challenge of like a frustration, a little bit of having to take those walk breaks? Uh, yeah, I think toward the end, because I just wanted to get done and get home and shower and do all the things. But I also recognize I have come this far. I don't want to screw it up now. I think more for me, the challenge is staying positive and not freaking out. So, you know, I have goals and I want to be back to a certain level by a certain time. And I have to just let it go because I want to run forever and within reason. But if I set these arbitrary goals and I limit my recovery, then I'm really defeating the purpose of all of this. So I'm trying so hard to just take one day at a time and be as strong as I can. So that is the hardest part for me. I just want it. I love racing. I like running fast. I like my routine. I miss running with my friends. There's just so much in it. And now that I'm back out there, it's like I'm reminded of what I want, where I want to be and I'm not there yet. So I need to just be patient. And I think also what's going to be really helpful is the end of the school year is quickly approaching. Thank God. And every day has been just one thing after another. And my brain is just fried from all of the different responsibilities that I feel like have been thrown at me. And I know you feel the same way. And so just being able to clear my mind a little bit and and not feel as stressed when I go to sleep at night will also, I think, really help uh, my running and my recovery. And I know you feel the same way as me right now. <laughs> I do. But I, that's why I look at you and I know yeah. that it must be hard to not just get out there and be able to run, you know, to have to take those breaks and be – you're practicing such good patience. And that's what we tell our runners who are coming back from injury or who are dealing mm-hmm. with – with, uh, you know, trying to prevent injuries is just being patient and keeping their eye on that longer term goal. So I think that's a really smart. And like you said, they're arbitrary. I know you have thoughts in mind of like where you'd like to be at a certain amount of time, but it, it is somewhat, it's nice to have, but I think it's somewhat arbitrary. And I think your bigger goal of doing this for a long time is more, is more important. And I love that you're keeping your eye on that. So, Thank and you're you. doing great. If you look at it from my <laughs> perspective, even when you were hopping around in my kitchen last week, just to see how far you've come. I just had surgery a little over a month ago. So it has only been like six weeks since surgery. So that's a pretty, um, that's pretty impressive that you're back to this point. And you've just, the reason that you are is that you've been so patient and you've followed, you've done all the steps in order, taking the time that you needed to. So it was great to see you out on the course on, on Saturday. Aww, that thanks. was nice. Was just fun. made me happy and yeah. happy to see a medal around your neck at yeah. the end. So, um, so it was great. Yeah, it was really fun. So um, speaking of obstacles, we um, had the pleasure of talking to an amazing athlete this week. Um, she is one of the top, top runners in Canada. And her name is Rachel Hanna. And we came across her bio in Canadian Running Magazine, where she discussed her running, which is incredible, as you'll hear, but also that she overcame a challenge relating to bone density. And she had a bunch of injuries and realized that she had amenorrhea, which for those of you who may not know, that's when you miss a period for two months or more, which can lead to brittle bones and um, osteopenia. 
And why this is so interesting is because she is a registered dietitian. So one would think that as a registered dietitian, that would not be an obstacle because she'd be on it. So it was even more interesting to talk with her from the standpoint of an elite athlete, a professional runner, also a registered dietitian, and she too has injuries. And she's going to talk about how she overcame her struggles and what that was like for her. I think there are parallels to kind of what you're going through is having (laughs) to really take a critical look at yourself and block out the external noise and be honest with yourself and patient with yourself and figure out what do you need to achieve your longer term goals and really stay committed to that. And that's something I think I took away that she did is she really just introspectively looked and said, all right, what do I need to do? And even though it may be not what my first, uh, you know, my first inclination would be to do or what I'm used to doing, but it's what I have the steps that I have to take to get to where I want to be. Yeah. So I think that's another, you know, another good takeaway from, from our discussion with her. That's such a great point. And I think for those who are training for fall marathons right now, um, everyone who's training for fall marathons, it's the beginning of that training cycle, even if your fall marathon is very early. So if you're someone that is sort of teetering on a potential injury or you've got like some sort of weakness going on, this is the time to embrace that and take a look and see what's going on. And and hopefully it's the type of injury or setback where you can continue running, not something like me where you have to have surgery. That's very extreme. Just modify your training yeah. Or, yeah, or work on some strength or stretching or whatever is as complementary. Totally. Yeah. This is the time to do it until yeah. before we get, if, if you're, especially if you're aiming for um, you know, fall marathons or marathon, you're thinking of doing a marathon next year. Uh, this is a good time. And this is a good time. We encourage a lot of our runners who maybe don't have a fall marathon on the schedule yet and are toying with the idea to think about focusing on shorter distances mm-hmm. for the fall and then ramping up for a marathon for the spring of 2020, especially people who like to train over the winter more than over the hot summer months. So if you're somebody like that, then maybe you think about focusing on your speed and your strength and your form and all of the things that go with running and take some time to do that now so that you have a really good, strong base heading into marathon season. Yeah, um, that's a really great point. And I also think it's important for people to, uh, how do I say this, dig deep and kind of think mentally, why am I doing this? I think sometimes the other Thing with running is that we tend to get stuck in our patterns where I'm supposed to do. Or we have friends and running buddies who yes. are doing something and we're just following that same pattern over yeah. and over and over again. And right, you have to step back and look at like, what do I need? And it's the same thing. We always talk to our runners about this with like training runs. You know, if you, especially if you run in a group, like what is your workout today? Is your workout an easy workout and the pace is a little too fast for you? Well, then you may to today, like I'm going to do my run on my own. And um, you just need to look at what what do you, and what do you want? What do you, what is your goal? Is your goal, uh, to run a fast marathon next year? And maybe, so you, maybe you want to take a step back now so that you go into that training fresh, uh, you know, you have to look at what you want a little bit more long-term. So that's what I like about what you're doing is looking not at something that's coming up soon as a, as this arbitrary goal, but mm-hmm. looking at like, well, what do I want to do long-term and what do I have to do now to get to that? So I think that's a, that's a great, uh, a great way to look at it. And I think our discussion with Rachel too, kind of goes back to that, like looking at what do I want to do long-term and what do I need to do outside of running? So you've been talking a lot about the strength training you're doing, the physical therapy mm-hmm. you're doing, the drills that you're doing, all the stuff that you're doing. Uh, nutrition is a really mm-hmm. big part of it and making sure that your nutrition is dialed into what you as an individual need. And Runners need more than they 
typically mm-hmm. probably think they're getting. And that's something the dietitians we work with when we send runners to them, the feedback we always get is that people aren't eating enough and aren't getting enough nutrients, even though they think they are, they may be eating well and think they're fueling themselves, but we often underestimate the fuel needs that we have as runners. Oh, that's so funny you bring that up. I haven't talked to you about this, but this is really interesting, is a couple of weeks ago over at Prime Fitness, they offered a service where you could get the, it's called the body composition or bod pod, where you, you go in this van and you lay on this this uh, table and they can, they can get you a DEXA scan and also take a look at um, like your your body fat composition, percentage and water. composition. But I really wanted that DEXA scan because osteoporosis runs in my family and I have very I have a very small bone structure, so I'm more susceptible to it. So I wanted to see where I was and I was really happy to see that I'm I'm actually pretty average. I, and, and the guy who was helping me look at my results, he's like, well, you're just average. You could be a little higher. But in my world, that's great right. given my sort of – I wonder too yeah. if it's because – because we're runners, a lot of we put a lot of impact into our bodies. It actually helps build bone bone density. So I he wonder if you can that. maybe offset any yeah. genetic predisposition you have. Is that the running and that because that's what I've been. My, I also have um, osteoporosis mm-hmm. and osteopenia in my family, and so I've always kept a close eye on it and had mm-hmm. bone bone density scans. Um, my doctors have stopped ordering them because they said, I mean, I had one done as a baseline and it looked fine. And they said that any genetic predisposition I have is being overcome by, first of all, making sure my vitamin mm-hmm. D levels are are good, but also the running that I do. So I haven't had one in a few years, but I maybe the guys should Yeah. I mean, I'm sure you're one, fine, but, but you know, it's uh, good to have it. Related, like we always talk about and talk to our runners about having their vitamin D levels chat mm-hmm. because vitamin D determines uh, the amount of calcium you can absorb. And that contributes to bone strength. So we, a lot of times when we see runners who have stress fractures, they also find out they had low vitamin D. So I always, my doctor is very good about every time I go in checking my vitamin D and this time it was very low. Mm. Uh, so I had to go back. I, I supplemented and went back in for a follow-up. I don't know if it was just the winter that I cover up more. Mm. I don't get as much sunlight. Um, I don't know what it was, but it was, it was particularly low. So I supplemented, went back in for a test. It's back up, but oh, good. something to keep your eye on. Definitely. I feel like a couple of our runners that we privately coach right now, I feel like they've mentioned to us quite a few actually, and it may just be June, June mania, but people have mentioned, I'm feeling extra fatigued. tired, fatigued. And I just, my answer a lot is when was the last time you had you know, uh, your, uh, some blood work done because iron, vitamin right. D, any of those deficiencies can make you feel very Especially fatigued. if you're running a ton of miles. Right. So we, we all should get that taken care of. I feel like this is all of a sudden become a, like a medical <laughs> podcast. I don't mean it to, but when well, you talk about to our discussion yeah, when you talk about bone health <laughs> and staying healthy as a runner and yeah. being able to run long-term, it all comes back yes. together. So we're going to turn it over. Oh, wait, I wanted to make one one more point. Okay. So here's the last thing. I wanted to bring this up last week and I totally forgot. Everyone who is summer training for fall marathons right now, uh, slow it down. Remember to keep your easy runs easy. And it's super important because in the summer, because it's hot, our heart rate goes up and it's humid and we slow down. So we kind of push it because we think, well, I'm supposed to run a certain pace, a certain pace, or I'm, I'm generally a nine minute miler when I do an easy five mile today, I'm running 930. Oh, what's going on? I'm going to speed it up a little. So maybe go watch list. Um, if you get frustrated by seeing the, um, pace on your watch, not being what it normally is. Again, it doesn't mean you're out of shape. We all know this, but slow it down because if you are pushing and you're in that gray zone, um, that's not going to serve you well when you get to the start line. I heard a great phrase this week on another podcast, and it is 
it's not that you're overtraining, you're under-recovering, under-recovering. Absolutely. That's so I, I thought that lot. was... And related, mm-hmm. that just reminded me too, speaking of summer running, if you're going to the beach, mm-hmm. don't run barefoot on as beautiful as it may look and as tempting as it may seem, do not run barefoot on the sand unless you are used to running barefoot. You are you are a barefoot runner. A lot of people get to the beach, they kick off their shoes, they decide they're going to go for a three-mile run on the beach, and then we get a call, my calves, my calves hurt terribly. Our, our feet and our bodies are used to running in shoes. If you want to run on the beach, go on the more hard-packed sand that's closer to the water and wear shoes. Keep it short. Keep it easy. Go for a walk on the beach if you want. Uh, but that's, that's just something we see every summer with people. They go and they think, oh, I'm going to go for a run on the beach and I'm not going to wear any shoes. And they end up getting injured or just having a lot of pain related to that. So something to keep in mind. But Lisa, I really like to run on the beach without my shoes. What should I do? And the answer is gradually. If you're going to be at the beach for yes. a long time, right? go out yes. the first day, walk on the beach barefoot. <laughs> And then a few days later, maybe you can do a little one-minute run. Yeah. Right? Any changes, and this just goes for any changes you make with running, with your nutrition, with your shoes, with your running surface. Every change should be very gradual. So you should ease into anything. So absolutely. Anyway. All right. So you were gonna say on that note. Yes, on that note, <laughs> we're gonna we're gonna turn it over to our interview with Rachel. And she has a lot of great information, both in terms of uh, listening to our bodies and paying attention to things outside of just the running and getting in the running mileage and having a great attitude when things don't go as planned and then reevaluating, like, what do I need to do to get back to where I want to be? Have a great week, Lisa. You too. We are so excited to welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast today, Elite Canadian runner, Rachel Hanna. Rachel started running at the age of seven when she was inspired by a teacher who was passionate about running and encouraged students to run daily. Rachel did just that and went on to attend Georgia State University on a five-year track and field and cross-country scholarship where she earned her degree in nutrition. Rachel went on to become a registered dietitian and a professional runner. In 2014, she was the Canadian champion in the 10K, half marathon, and cross-country events. And in 2015, she made her marathon debut at the Ottawa Marathon in a time of 2.33. Rachel has continued to run, but not without some obstacles. Rachel has come on our podcast today to talk about what it's like to be a professional runner and registered dietitian and struggle with nutrition. She will talk about how she overcame her obstacles relating to amenorrhea and low bone density and how she's continued to run successfully in spite of suffering from a few major injuries. We really enjoyed talking with Rachel. She was very open with us and we are so excited that she agreed to spend a few minutes to talk with us and we are so grateful to all of you for listening. Thanks so much and enjoy. Rachel Hanna, welcome to the Run Farther and Faster podcast. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. It's a pleasure. Thanks for, we really appreciate you giving us your time today. Um, Rachel, you are an extremely accomplished uh, distance runner. You are one of Canada's best female marathoners, uh, best runners at at all distances. Um, Tell us a little bit about your background and, um, you know, your early years of running and some of your accomplishments. Sure. Yeah, thanks very much. 
Um, I've been running for almost all my life, basically, since grade four. Um, but I started to run at more of an elite level, kind of post-collegiately. I, I did get a scholarship. I went to school at uh, Georgia State University in Atlanta for uh, five years. So that was uh, really fun. And I started to improve towards the end. I always focused more on short distance. So I did, aside from cross country, I did more, you know, 3,000 meter, 5,000 meter. Um, I never really realized that uh, I had... Um, you know, a liking to the longer distances until after school. And so I took about a year off after that to focus on my uh, dietetic internship. So I studied uh, nutrition. I got a Bachelor of Science in, um, in nutrition. And so I, be- I went on to become a registered dietitian after that. And then I realized that I really missed running. So during my internship, you know, high stress and I wasn't really running that much. And I was like, you know what, I need to get back into this because it makes me feel so, so much better and helps me in other parts of my life. And so I took up running again and it probably took me about maybe two years to get back to where I was before. And then I started to gradually improve. Probably my best years were between 2014 and 2016, kind of in that range. Um, And I realized that I liked the marathon distance. So I did my first one in 2015. Um, so that's where my marathoning began. I've been doing it now for four years, almost exactly to the date. <laughs> wow. That's it. Yeah. And, and tell us what was your first marathon and what was the time? Sure. So my first marathon in 2015, like I mentioned, it was the Ottawa marathon, which I actually just did a couple of weeks ago, which was fun to go back there. I ran my first one in 233 mid, I think it was 233 30. And uh, at that time, I I was in my best 10,000 meter shape. And I always think it's interesting to hear like the background because I wasn't necessarily training for a marathon at that time. I'd done long runs and I had gotten to a place where I was doing enough mileage, but not your traditional marathon build. Um, I'd set my personal best at Peyton Jordan three weeks before that in the 10,000 meter. So I had really good leg speed and then I just had a really good day. Everything came together. And so that was still one of my best accomplishments to date because I've only ran one marathon faster than that (laughs) so far. I mean, that's really incredible that your first marathon really, there's so much that goes into play in running your first marathon. And for most people, your first marathon is sort of a test to see what works and what doesn't. And you were able to run a 2.33 on non-specific marathon training and, and get your fueling, it, it appears very, get it right, right away to get that 233. That is incredible. No, you must have been so proud of that. Yeah, thank you. Yeah, I think it was one of my, one of my best moments. And that's what really got me into doing more marathons, because I love that feeling after crossing. Like, it was, of course, very, very challenging. And, um, and what I know now about fueling compared to then is, is advanced so much just from my own knowledge. And I can talk a bit more about that in terms of my course. Um, but luckily on the day I did get enough carbs. It was definitely on the lower end and I'm much higher now. Um, but I was just in really good shape. So I capitalized that on the day, put it yeah, all together. We'll, we'll definitely want to want to hear more about that. But in, in general, mm-hmm. you, you know, you mentioned you, that was your first and then you progressed from there. What did you do after that? Since you didn't really prepare specifically for that one after that, did you, start to focus on preparing specifically for the marathon distance and what did you do um, to, to help you focus more on the marathon? Yeah, sure. Yeah. The only thing that was specific up to that was my long runs, but all my other workouts were more 10,000 meter uh, based. And then after that, I was the reason why I actually decided to jump up to the marathon distance and not stick with 10K was that I was uh, one spot out from the Pan Am Games that summer and it was held in Toronto in my hometown and I really wanted to compete. And so I knew I wouldn't go in the 10,000 meter. 
And so I decided, I was like, well, maybe I can qualify in the marathon. And I knew like roughly around what time I had to run. And so luckily that Ottawa run got me a spot on that team. And so I actually did my next marathon in July of that same year. So I think I had about two months to prepare. So I didn't, I didn't have very long in between. I think it was just the end of July. I did it. So basically I just started kind of another build with a little bit of downtime. We did some more specific like marathon interval sessions. So one example would be, you know, three times 5k things that are a little bit longer that I wouldn't have been doing before. Um, so that helped me quite a bit. And then heat training and the humidity of uh, summers here. Um, so those things got me ready. Did you have a coach? Yes. Yeah. My coach is actually my partner, David Crow. Oh, great. He's been um, coaching me for, for quite a while now, ever since I started um, pretty much running again after, after my internship. Yeah. So you ran the pan. So your second marathon was the Pan Am games. It was. Yeah. Yeah. And it was in Toronto. And so it was great because I got to run in front of my home hometown and uh, had such great support on the course. And I think when I look back at that race that was probably the toughest race I've ever run Um, but the crowd support got me through it and the fact that I was running for Canada that's a huge honor always and it should never be downplayed because you you may not get another shot again Um, so that that race it was actually a heat warning that day and so it was it was over it was in the like high 20s celsius i know you go in fahrenheit there um but i'm trying to convert that's that hot. Yeah, and it's, it's hot. hot it's, it's really warm it's in the high 80s I think. yeah it's warm and, and like there's actually a heat warning and people were concerned and uh quite humid too and so it was four loops of a course because most championship races they want to be able to see you and um and it had hills in it too. So it was quite, quite challenging. Um, that day I finished fourth and I was quite disappointed just because I missed the podium spot by one. And then I found out a few months later that the first place girl got caught for uh. doping with a diuretic. Uh. So I actually ended up getting the bronze medal in November of that year. And so um, that was presented to me in a, like a formal uh, presentation at our nationals cross country. So that was quite a great uh, another one of those uh, great accomplishments yeah your second marathon being a bronze medalist at the Pan Am Games <laughs> I'd say that's a that's a pretty pretty decent <laughs> accomplishment that's amazing so I think it's my best to date <laughs> it's fantastic so interestingly you um you accomplished both of these these huge things while you were still working and and mm-hmm. um go- going through all the diet um registered dietitian requirements um, so you weren't a professional athlete while doing all this. Yeah, yeah, I was, uh, I guess at that time, yeah, 2015, I was still working full time at um, Medcan. That was my previous employer and they were super supportive and they always let me you know, take time off for races, but I was still doing like 40 to 45 hours in a week. And then once I got to that point after the Pan Am Games, we started to think and we're like, you know, I'd like to try to go for a spot on the 2016 team if I can. And I talked to my work and um, some of them were out there cheering for me. So I think they understood like how Mm -hmm. passionate I was about it. And uh, they let me cut back on my hours at that point. So starting in 2016 or maybe it was the end of 2015, somewhere around that time I cut down my hours. So I started to work part-time, but up until that point when I was sort of setting my best races, I was still working full-time. And how did, did that serve you well to cut back and what happened next with your yeah yeah so um it, it did help because uh, I got a little bit more time to rest more sleep and because I, I was noticing with the marathon training that was just taking more out of me and that I needed more time to recovery sleep was probably the biggest thing that helped and so uh, after that I did another marathon build um in in January I ran the Houston marathon so that was 2016 
And that was um, my, that's where I set my personal best. So that's right around the time I started to work part-time. And so that did help for sure. And um, that race, I was trying to go for the, what the Olympic standard was. So I was about just over two minutes off of it. So I didn't get to go um, to Rio. The standard was quite hard and it's about the same. (laughs) Yeah. You're coming around. Um, But I still, I was happy. I was able to set a personal best at that race. And your personal best was uh, 232. So a full minute faster than. Yep. That's yeah. amazing. Yeah. And interestingly, just fun fact is that the um, Canadian woman marathon marathoner who did um, represent your country in the in the Rio Olympics was also a registered dietist, dietitian, Krista Duchesne, right? Yes. Yeah. She's yeah. a good friend of mine and we connect well over both of us being dietitians, but yeah, we've known each other for a while and it's so fun because we're both on the same um, team, the Speed River Track and Field Club now. So that is great. so cool. I, I figured <laughs> you must know each other just because you mm-hmm. obviously have a lot in common. And is she, a, a, I would imagine, is she sort of a mentor for you, given that she's, what, about 15 years older than you are? Yeah, she's about oh, probably just uh, probably 10. She's, I think she's 42. And okay. yeah, she's been a huge um, inspiration for me. And I think even to try the marathon, I think looking at her and looking at Lanny Marchand, those two were um, definitely, and I still look up to both of them. Uh, they represented Canada in the Rio Olympics. And uh, and I remember we used to race each other. I'm like, oh, they're, they're doing so good. Like if they can do this, I should try a marathon. So when you see other women uh, running really well and qualifying for teams, it does inspire you to, to try it yourself. So yeah, absolutely. Definitely. And for those mm-hmm. who aren't familiar, who are listening, look up Krista Duchesne. She's just an amazing runner, but she's mm-hmm. also a mom of three, correct? Yep. yep. And in her 40s and continues to just kick butt in the marathon. And last year, she was the first Canadian to cross the female Canadian across the finish line, of the Boston Marathon in 2018. And I believe mm. she was the fifth, fifth, fifth one of fifth the top women. 10 women. Yeah. yeah. So yeah, she was a uh, third. Oh, sorry. Third. <laughs> yeah. third right behind, yeah, right behind no, Sarah Sellers. Okay. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. No problem. It was, uh, it was huge for us. Like seeing her come through like that, that was amazing. Yeah. Oh yeah. That was, that was just such a great race to begin with in mm-hmm. terms of not, not experiencing of course, but in terms of just the wild card and the women coming across the finish line and her being mom of three in her forties, being the third female was really incredible. So mm-hmm. all the underdog stories yeah. from that year that came through. So, <laughs> yeah. so, so you have, you set your, your PR at um, Houston in 2016. And then tell us what, what happened later that year. You were uh, scheduled to go to the half marathon world championships, right? Yes. Yeah. So later on um, that year, I uh, guess, yeah, I was going to be running that team. So I took a little bit of time off and then I started to train again. It would have been in the winter and, um, I had a training run where my like lower back was hurting quite a bit. And so uh, I went and got some treatment and it felt worse after um, I think I'd injured it on that run. And the next day I tried to go for a mileage run and I knew something was really, really wrong. So I ended up cutting it short, walking home. And then 10 minutes later, I was in so much pain to walk. And, and that lasted for about a week, like extreme pain walking. Um, so I, I kind of thought it was bone related. Um, we got some tests done. I don't think we ever got an MRI because it had healed uh, quite quick, but then I'll explain in a a second here, but uh, on another MRI, it actually picked it up. So it was a sacral stress fracture. Um, So that I had to take off, I think just under eight weeks for it to heal. Um, And was that your first major injury? 
Yes, that was my first major injury in college. I didn't really have too many issues. I think before that, maybe IT band pain, some foot pain here and there. But the first stress fracture that I had experienced where I had to take prolonged time off. So here you were at the height of your running career doing mm-hmm. amazingly. And then all of a sudden you were sidelined. And how did you feel when that happened to you? Yeah, it was, uh, I guess it was quite a shock because I never had that much pain before induced from running. So I knew something was really, really wrong. And I think it just frightened me a lot. And uh, plus, yeah, I was at that point where I was, you know, setting personal bets. I was feeling, you know, quite good. And, and you want to just keep that momentum going. And um, plus, like, whenever you miss out on a national team, it's always hard to, to deal with. Sure. Um, so, yeah, that, that was challenging. Luckily, I recovered and I was working with um, a great physiotherapist, Greg Lehman in Toronto and uh, not working with him anymore. But yeah, he helped me get through that. And then I got back into training and I was still still doing quite good. And I was able to run that fall the um Scotiabank Toronto waterfront marathon where Chris and I were actually battling out for first and second so she beat me uh but I was <laughs> second I think 30 seconds behind her in a marathon um that seems to be our trend at Scotia so anyway she came first and I ran around 234 which is still to date like my third fastest marathon and um, right so, yeah. and right around I mean you're clearly very consistent given your times are all in the low 230s Yes, up until that point, yeah. <laughs> I was pretty consistent, yeah. Other than Pan Am Games, that was 241 or 242, but it was the scenario of the heat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Um, at, at that point that you, when you had that injury, did your doctors or anybody, your trainers, anybody talk to you about maybe why it happened or the cause, or did you kind of question why it happened and, um, you know, how you could prevent it in the future? Was that anything that you really thought about or talked about? We didn't at that time. So I knew like at that time I was not getting my period. So I was amenorrheic and I think it may have started in, I don't know the exact year, but it had been probably a year or maybe more where I had not gotten a cycle. So already at that point, I'm sure my bone density was starting to become reduced. Um, So that definitely puts you at a much higher risk in terms of a stress fracture. But at that time, I guess we just didn't think to do a bone mineral density um, I hadn't quite come across um, the doctors yet who helped me with that in terms of sports doctors. So, um, yeah, I guess we just hadn't thought about it. And and even looking back, like the health professional, I think we just assume like, well, you know, she knows what she's doing. She knows, you know, calcium intake. She's a dietitian. She knows how to eat properly. So I think that just it never came up externally with anyone else. Um, and I just didn't because I didn't know how bad my bone density was. I just kept on going about training and not really thinking twice about it and that's really interesting as a dietitian yourself who really mm. knows that information has been trained in that yeah you didn't really apply it to yourself I wasn't no and that I think that's important for people to know because when you're re- when you're in that zone where like I was mentioning I was setting personal best I was very focused on performance sometimes you can't see ahead and think like long-term bone health or like what is this putting me at risk for and I had like blinders on like I just didn't see that at the moment um, I knew that that one injury was not good and I didn't want that to happen again but I just didn't think about the long-term consequences of you know having low energy availability um, at that time That's really interesting too, because I think also when we think about marathon training and we're looking at cycles, we think of three months as a really long time. It's like you were out for a couple of months and you were thinking about your next marathon and you, you got to your next marathon, you did very well and you probably Mm -hmm. didn't look back because you probably felt like you were, you were healed and you continued um, achieving times in the low two thirties with the marathon after your sacral. 
yes exactly yep yeah like training had still gone well and then when I look back now it's like the only piece that wasn't dealt with was um you know energy availability so just making sure and the best sign of that of course when you're out of um, you know racing weight and you're sustaining that which I was because over I went four years without getting my period and so I was at I was always staying at kind of racing weight I wasn't gaining enough in between Mm -hmm. my marathon cycles or in between these big races um so when I look back that was definitely something to improve on if I could change anything that would be it Um, so do you feel like that looking back if you were to tell your younger self during that time period to do something different besides getting the um, DEXA scan for example to check your bone density Mm -hmm. what would you tell your younger self yeah so yes I'm from that definitely get bone mineral density done yearly that's usually um, how often that they'll do it and then definitely fixing the the energy availability piece so I would have uh, gained more weight in between seasons. And I think there's sometimes this fear of that, like, oh, if you gain weight, I think in my head, why I'm thinking like why I didn't do that. I think I just thought it would be hard to lose it again, or it would impact my times or make me feel really slow. Um, When really uh, looking back, it would have helped me a lot because it meant I wouldn't have been sidelined again and again with recurring uh, stress fractures. So yeah, I definitely would have fluctuated my weight a lot more than what I did. Okay. So, but it's also interesting that you say gain weight between seasons versus what Mm. would have happened theoretically if you had had a little bit more weight on you during the training cycle? Do you think that would have impacted as a registered dietitian more? I'm asking you this, but do you think Mm -hmm. that would have impacted your times or do you think maybe having more weight because you have more energy availability would have allowed you to race a little bit faster? Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think it's just that fine balance. Like if I had a little bit more energy coming in and probably some of my workouts could have been better. Um, I think why I was able to probably feel good is just being at like a lighter weight than what my body wants to be at. So when you're kind of fighting against it, you're not at your like natural genetic um, body composition, that's really challenging to maintain. And obviously, you know, what happens after the negative consequences occur. But yeah, I, I think looking back, I would have had uh, more energy probably on my long runs and on my longer workouts where like you're dipping into your your stored energy or your glycogen and and I think back to some of those workouts and like I did feel really bad by the end like I would get uh, hypoglycemic like feel really dizzy sometimes I wouldn't know if I'd make it home on my cool down and I don't get like that anymore so like those were clear signs that I was not meeting my energy needs um, even during the workouts so yeah I think my training could have been improved a lot for sure. And was there any discussion with coaches or with, you know, teammates or people you train with? Or is there any, you know, was the sign of something nobody talked about and just assumed that everybody was, you know, you as a registered dietitian were on top of? Was it just kind of the mm. culture? What, what do you think, um, you know, why did this not come up? Was, you know, most people, if they didn't get a period for four years or whatever, they would probably mm-hmm. be talking to their physician or their, you know, maybe or maybe not. So what, what do you think mm-hmm. kind of kept it as a, you know, in the back of your head versus something you were paying more attention to? Yeah, I think it could have been just not um, maybe corresponding with the, with the right people just to openly talk about it. Um, I, I think afterwards I had met uh, really great sports doctors who uh, are actually have done a lot of research in the field. And that's when we started to talk about it and realize, okay, we need to fix this. Like it's been way too long. Um, so then once I was able to start talking about that and maybe I can explain like what sort of happened. Next, yeah, please do. About. Yeah. yeah, sure. And then I'll, I'll talk about yeah. the people who helped me. Cause I think it's good to know their names and uh, cause they can help other people. So yeah, after that 2017 going into that year, so I had made from that Scotiabank run where Kristen and I were battling it out, we um, 
I had made the world uh, world champs for the next year in 2017. So that would have been in London in uh, August. And so I was training throughout that year, had a really good build, um, still a minerato, so not, not great. And then going into that, I had done my last training run here in Guelph. And then we were getting on the plane that night to go to Spain for a training camp beforehand. And something on the top of my foot started to hurt. And I thought it was just my shoes being too tight. And I wasn't really sure. But then when it started to hurt walking and it started to get some swelling after the plane, um, I knew something was wrong and it felt quite, quite bad. And so I did a couple of training runs um, in Spain with the team. And then I noticed on one workout, the, the head coach there, um, Dave Scott Thomas, he noticed too that I was just was running with a bit of a limp. And so uh, they both, him and um, his wife, uh, Brenda, so she was a physio with our team and she was helping me out. And she realized like, you know, the swelling's not going down. You should see the sports doctor. And so I saw him, um, Dr. Patty McCluskey, and he was the uh, head doctor for our team. And he was really great. He helped, um, he helped assess my foot. He kind of poked around on it and he determined like he knew by the look on my face when he pressed on it, that something was really wrong. Um, cause it hurt a lot. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I guess I hadn't been pressing on it like that myself for, for fear. Yeah. And then one of the first questions, like it was really interesting because he wasn't talking about like what shoes are you running in? What's your mileage like? Like how much are you doing? I think the first question he asked me was when's the last time you had your period. So that's the first time that I started to, to actually talk to someone about this. Um, aside from like personal friends and, and my coach did know about that. And so I, I told him, you know, how long and, and um, we, we had some time to um, talk when we were waiting. They ordered an MRI in Spain to, to rule out um, stress fracture. And so it ended up being a fourth metatarsal stress fracture. And uh, when he talked to me about it, he's like, you know, if you do compete, it'll probably go into a full fracture and you won't be able to run for a very, very long time. You might need surgery. So I'm like, you know what? That's not worth it. I'm not going to race. So I didn't end up doing the world championships and I ended up coming home. So I didn't actually make it to London. I only made it to the training camp. Um, but from the conversations with him and he, he told me some examples of, you know, other athletes and, you know, amenorrheic, that's very common, but it, you know, it will eventually have um, effects on performance in a negative way. And obviously bone health, things like that. There's a lot more negatives than um, having a light body weight. Yeah. And so he, he was like, you know, the one thing I want you to work on, cause I kept asking him questions like, what can heal this? Like, you know, do I need to take eight weeks off at that point? I just didn't want to take another eight weeks off. Sure. And, uh, and then he's like, you know, if gaining weight and having higher energy availability, he's like, I think some weight gain is needed. Um, that's going to help with your bone densities. Like that's the number one thing that you can do at this point. And after talking to him, I was like, yeah, this is like, this is dramatic. I'm just, I'm missing out on my first, you know, world uh, championships in the marathon distance when I really wanted to run. And, uh, and that really hit home. I was like, something needs to change. Cause this is, it, that was really, really hard to deal with. Like I was crying for many hours and oh sure, uh, yeah, it was just really challenging. And so and so that hit home and I, I decided, you know, I'm, I'm going to gain weight and I want to get my period back very soon. And I want to go about this and not, and, you know, not, not be concerned about uh, performance for a while and just be healthy. So focus on health. Um, so that was a really good, good turning point. And at that time too, I met um, a Dr. Margot Mountjoy. So she, she and I both work together now at the health and performance center at the university of Guelph. So she started to get set up um, bone density tests to see what my bone mineral density was at. Um, so that was also very, very helpful. And, and what did that test reveal? Did it reveal that you um, were, uh, had a low, 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 low bone density or was osteopenia or propensity yep. to osteoporosis or anything like that? Yeah, that test. Uh, so that was also like an alarming mm-hmm. thing to get done. So I got that done. It would have been 
think it was 2017. Um, yeah, it would have been 2017 because I've had three done now so far. And so after that one, it revealed, um, like they do different sites. So I know everyone does. So we, I did a mo- bone mineral density. It wasn't a DEXA scan it oh, okay. was done at the hospital. And so they did a couple different sites and they, they do like your spine and your hip as the major ones to determine what your bone density is. Um, my spine was really, really bad. It was almost, it was like 0.1 off osteoporosis. So it was oh. very, very bad. Um, my hip was not as bad, but it was still in a, not a good zone. And especially for a runner, generally with running, you should have a little bit more. Exactly. Yeah. And did you have any genetic, any genetic propensity towards like, you know, do you have family that has low, low bone density or osteoporosis or anything like that? Uh, yeah, there's a genetic component too. Um, and so my mom, she has osteopenia, not osteoporosis, but definitely reduced bone density. So I think that's part of it is that, yeah, it runs in the family as well. Um, but I think the main driving force was just amenorrhea for, for a really long time. I think that was the number one reason. Cause usually the third factor is nutrition and my nutrition was quite good in terms of calcium and vitamin D and things like that. So I think that was the main driving force. And, and so after that, I was able to put on quite a bit of weight, like it was substantial and I had to buy new clothes and things didn't fit me. Like it was, it was enough to, (laughs) to get my period back within about three months of uh, the time that I left uh, that training camp. So it actually wasn't that long. (laughs) No, that's actually really impressive because um, we would imagine there was also a psychological component to it because, um, you had to buy new clothes. You had to change, shift your mindset. You had to focus on gaining weight um, in a culture, a, a running culture, where being thin is what is expected. So how, how did that work for you? And how did you get through that time, not running and yeah. trying to gain weight? Yeah, I think the support team of having, you know, those doctors and also um, Trent Stellingworth, he's uh, he's one of the leaders in terms of you know sports nutrition, exercise physiology. He was uh, with us on that trip and he was taking some body composition with me. So he got like a baseline of what I thought like was sort of my racing body composition. And then uh, afterwards talking about, you know, okay, well, we want to increase the skin fold. That's what we go by in terms of the um, like caliper method to do that. And so um, he worked closely with um, Eric Sospreno, which is a dietitian who works he was working for the Canadian Sport Institute. Uh, now he's in Montreal, but he was in Toronto before. And so he was a great, him and Trent both uh, corresponded, both were really, really helpful for me. And they helped me through that so that we could measure it because we wanted to start measuring not only weight gain, but, you know, muscle mass and, and fat mass, kind of seeing those changes. So meeting with him and the goal of, you know, getting my period back and, and seeing that, um, that was really helpful because I did markers along the way just to see like, am I gaining muscle mass as I'm gaining this? So, um, and we kind of joked about it after when he showed me my graphs and he's like, okay, this was your racing body composition. And then it's like a, a massive line up in terms of my body <laughs> fat. And we just kind of made a joke out of it to mm-hmm. be like, you know, you're healthy, you're getting your period. Obviously this is not performance weight, but you know, that's not the goal right now. It's not performance, it's health. <laughs> Did it help you to have, it almost sounds like you were, you know, trying to set a PR in in achieving those new body composition goals that he was setting out for you. So did that help you feel like, you know, that was part of your training was achieving those goals? Yeah, he was super helpful. And, uh, and he was like, you know, do you have a support network? Do you have people to talk to? Like he was, he knew how hard it was to, as an athlete, like put on a substantial amount when you have a very, um, you know, a sport that is dependent on weight in terms of performance. Um, so that was very, very helpful to do that. And then we kind of got a point where we're like, okay, now that is your highest. And then now let's see like where, 
we can get you to where, you know, you're getting your cycle and you have more muscle mass, but you're um, still able to perform well. So that was really helpful to do some of those tests with him. I should try to meet with him again this year to get that done. But um, that was really, really helpful to have that support. And, and, then and how, all- did, how did you, how did you put on the weight? Like, how did you do it? You know, I'm, we're guessing you didn't go out and just decide to eat a lot of fast food. And, you know, <laughs> how did, did you have, you know, obviously you as a dietitian have that knowledge, mm-hmm. but what, what, how did you do that? How did you approach that? Sure. Yeah. So I, um, before this, so I'll just, I'll just backtrack a bit in terms of why I think I was very, very low in terms of energy availability. And so at my work, we were, I worked in weight management. So I did that for five years. I was, I was helping people lose weight and change their behaviors around food. So it was also very behavior focused, but we did um, a program with calorie tracking with them. So in order to help my clients do that, I had to learn it myself. So that's when I, when I look back, I'm like, oh, well, that's why I was losing weight. Cause then I started to track my calories and my macronutrients at the same time. And so I was very aware of what I was taking in. And when I look back now, it was too low for what my body needed because um, and I can share this with you in an external link after, like in terms of looking at energy availability and what the numbers can mean, if you want to estimate it. Sure. But when I look back now, it was just too low. My calorie intake was too low to sustain um, my exercise that I was doing. Therefore, reproductive function shuts down. You don't have enough energy available. Um, and so having that knowledge around it, what I did is I stopped tracking and I stopped I and mean, I'm like, I'm not going to look at what my food intake is. I was resting too. And I was doing uh, mostly cross training. So like pool running and cycling. So my calorie needs were not as high. I wasn't burning as much. Uh, I was still working hard to try to maintain muscle mass. Um, so yeah, I stopped tracking and stopped worrying about that. I tried to eat more according to my hunger and I, and also a point too, which is really important uh, would help me gain weight is that like doing those cross training activities, I felt like it was helpful to increase my appetite. Whereas with running, I'm, and I've talked to other athletes who experience this too. Um, sometimes there's a suppression in appetite levels after like acutely from long training. And uh, you both might have experienced yes, this. Yes, we're just nodding our heads here, right? After a long, <laughs> after a long training run. Yeah, yeah, yeah you go on a long run and, and yeah. it kind of suppresses your appetite. And so if you're not, if you're not eating according to a plan or you're not being pretty strategic about it that's where you can start to get those calorie deficits in the day and so when I look back that was also a problem because I'm very um, susceptible to that I get very low appetite after a run especially in the heat Um, so one thing I've changed a lot now going forward is just making sure like planned recovery snacks planned amounts um, on those days that are higher um, just to make sure I have good energy uh, availability Um, so yeah that was one thing I just stopped looking at that I think appetite levels started to increase and Um, And I was just a bit more lenient to like just eating, you know, going out for frozen yogurt on the weekends or ice cream, stuff like that, that I wouldn't normally eat. I was doing that. Um, So that that was helpful to gain weight. It sounds like you were listening, kind of listening to your body, what it needed. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. Just eating a bit more and like my appetite level started to adjust and become, and I found like with increased fat mass, it kind of helped me to become hungrier. So it wasn't hard. It definitely wasn't hard to do. (laughs) Did you have... Did you ever feel, um, you had mentioned that sort of what led you to more restrictive eating was um, being in an environment where you're tracking your calories mm-hmm. and then you had to completely shift your mindset and think about um, eating intuitively in order mm-hmm. to recover. Did you um, have any sort of um, therapy or mental health counseling um, in doing this or were you sort of someone who you felt like it wasn't really as much about um, disordered eating as much as just being in a, in a regimen in an, a work environment. 
Yeah, no, that's a good question. I never, I never did seek additional help, like in terms of um, like psychotherapy or psychologist. I've worked with a sports psychologist a couple of times, but that wasn't to do with eating. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, I never did that just because I felt like I could make the interventions myself. Like say if we look back and I was not able to gain weight or I was finding it really difficult to you know eat more or overeat, then I would have sought help. I would have mm-hmm. said, you know, if the scale is not moving and I'm not running and I'm injured, and sidelined, then I definitely would have um, uh, talked to a professional for sure. But I think just with my background and knowing like, okay, well, let's not track, let's not pay attention to this. This is your time to, you know, focus on, on gaining weight and being okay with it. Um, but I do think, you know, talking to mental health professionals is always a really great idea. Um, I guess I just um, didn't do it because I was able to, to do it on my own. Got it. It sounds like you had also a really supportive network that maybe sort of provided that support for you and helped you sort of break it down. And it also sounds like you're a very science oriented person where you were able to break down the science and not get as emotional about it, perhaps. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. We looked at like the numbers and like body, all that stuff. Like I like numbers and the science behind it, given my mm-hmm. background. Um, so I think that helped me get through it. And then, yeah, just having, you know, great friends and athletes who you can just talk about and joke around with, you know, body changes and uh, that really helped for sure. Yeah. So tell us what's happened now since you've gotten your period back, since you gained some weight when you were not training. Like, what what does your life look like? What does your training and your running and racing look like now? Sure. Yeah. And I think, um, I think one part like with the mental health piece, just before I forget to mention, because this is a, yeah. a common symptom that can happen with uh, REDS or relative energy deficiency in sport is um, one of the things that can happen is just like reduce, like not feeling good in terms of mental health and well-being. And during that time period, I actually thought I had depression and I went on antidepressants for a number of years and when I look back I went off them last year because I didn't feel like I needed it anymore um, when I look back it was more just the energy availability because now I feel uh, good <laughs> so yeah, your, your brain wasn't getting what it needed <laughs> yeah it wasn't getting your, the nutrients that was shutting down. wow that is yeah. I want to go back to that for a second because that mm-hmm. is really fascinating and fascinating you are a registered dietitian mm-hmm. and knowing that about yourself we would guess you are helping a lot of your patients because you now know that sometimes, not all the time, of course, but sometimes it's perhaps the foods you're choosing, your lifestyle, your energy expenditure, the foods you're taking in that may contribute to symptoms of depression. Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. It, it can be a huge piece in terms of your mental well-being to be eating properly and, and, and not just the, no, I've always eaten well in terms of the nutrient density, but just the overall calorie intake was too low. Um, so I think that's important for everybody to know that like, if they're, you know, if you're starting to not feel good and you're starting to get signs of like, you know, low mood chronically, you want to look at, you know, you know, obviously it can be um, genetic or it can be something that can happen, but if it came about from, you know, missing your period and being in sort of that, that red zone. Um, it's important to look at that for sure. And just know that of course, long-term that's not going to help performance, right? If you're it's important energy. to see how much, um, that nutrition and, uh, fueling your, whatever your activities are, how that affects so many aspects. It's not just your weight. It's absolutely your yeah. body functions, your mental facilities, yep. everything. So that's really, really, really important. Okay. So back to your question, yeah, which just, was, tell us what it looks like now for you. Yeah, so I had, um, so after that, I got got my period back. And I'll just make one more side note about um, these changes. So I gained quite a bit of weight. And maybe it was a little bit too much because I got it back so soon, which I think it was, it might have been a little bit overkill, but that's okay. I was, that was my goal. Um, So two months after I started to run again, I actually got a third, like stress fracture, stress reaction in my femur. Um, So it was almost a stress fracture was like right on the stage before it. Um, so I had to take off another two months after that. So I yeah. still wasn't in the clear even after you know 
getting my period back. So that's just a warning for any athletes who might be going through this, like find that level where, you know, you're able to get it back, but not too much. So it's just that fine balance. And even, um, you know, Margo Mancho, I work with her as well. Um, that's why she, you know, one of the many reasons why she wanted athletes to see a, a sport dietitian is to, you know, come up with goals that are going to be helpful, but not be on the other side. Cause if you, if you look at that and you're looking at a higher body weight, you have low bone density, and then you're starting to run again with the pounding, it can also put you at risk for stress fractures on the opposite end. Um, wow. so it, that happened to me. <laughs> so check that box. That is really tricky. And that must've also been really depressing to do yeah. all of those steps that you did and then get a stress fracture. Yeah. Yeah. That, uh, that was really hard. And at that point I was like, man, like is competitive running for me. Like, do I want to be doing all this? Like how, like, you know, those thoughts go through your mind. You're like, it's another one happening. Um, but luckily I was able to still, you know, do cross training, still keep relatively fit. And then, um, I started running again in um, January of 2018 and, uh, I've been running knock on wood. I haven't had any issues since that point. I've been training consistently. Fantastic. And, so. and how has your, how have you felt, um, as a runner with your new body, body weight, um, mm-hmm. how are your workouts going and how do you feel, um, when mm-hmm. you're running and racing? Yeah. So um, when I started to, to get back down, like at first it was really, really hard, but it was also a combination of just not being doing workouts on my feet for a long time. It was all cross training. Um, so at first it was quite challenging, but not as hard as I would have thought. I would have thought it would be you know really hard being at a higher weight to be able to run. So once I got back into shape, um, probably the biggest thing I noticed was hills. Like hills were definitely more challenging and that makes sense if you're carrying more, more body mass. But now that I'm back and I've run with a new, kind of a newer body, um, I think it took a little period to adjust. And I think that's important for people to know that sometimes it might be a bit challenging, times might be a bit slower. And they did in races, like my times were slower at first when I was getting back into it. But I was okay with that. It was almost like a transition year where I'm like, you know what, I'm going to be a bit slower, but I'm training healthily and I feel a lot better. I'm in a better headspace, so I know I can uh, do this consistently. And then there was kind of a turning point. It would have been like last summer, I was um, starting to get mo- some momentum and I was training for um, the Berlin marathon. And I I was feeling like really good in my workouts. Like I was still, you know, hitting, hitting good times and, and kind of running similar times to what I would normally do. I think Hills were just the, the biggest component there that were a bit harder. That's but, crazy. but yeah, when I look at my workouts right now, like all now, and I'm probably, racing at I don't know the exact way because I don't put a weight goal anymore on races I just want to feel strong and feel you know really good because I think it's dangerous to say like I need to be at this weight for this race because then it puts all this pressure on you and it it can be really stressful absolutely Um, so but yeah when I look at all my times sorry yeah and arbitrary can be very arbitrary yeah, exactly. And so when I went into this Ottawa Marathon build, I just had no like weight goal. I was just, you know, just be strong. And I was probably at least like uh, over five pounds over what I thought my old racing weight was, just to give context. So definitely ab- above that. Uh, but running all the same times, I think that's important to know. Like, you know, workout times were all pretty much the same that I had done in previous builds at a lower weight. That's and you're great. healthy and you're healthy and you're not, you're not yep. yeah yeah exactly healthy and I just got back um my last bone density test a few weeks ago and um it's much higher now like I've had over 12 percent increase in my spine bone density which, wow. which is pretty good for I'm 32 and so after 30 you don't build quite as much you can still obviously build bone density but it's a bit slower and um, it was higher in my hip too so I had significant improvements um, that's great because awesome. in in a weird way these stress fractures saved you from many problems in the future 
Exactly. Um, yeah. 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 That was a silver lining of like going through that hard moment. Like later on down the line, now where I'm at, I'm like very thankful because I'm, you know, have better bone health. It means I can run and train more consistently. And it means I'm not as worried when I'm training. I'm like, you know, I feel better, but I'm not about to injure something else. Yeah. <laughs> so um, how did the Ottawa Marathon go for you? Because you ran that um, just a few weeks ago. Yeah, yeah, Ottawa, um, like I was saying, my build was was great. I had some of the best training I've ever done. And it was really hard because we had a really tough, like cold winter, hardly any warm days to train in. Like, I don't think there was maybe, maybe one day where it was a little bit warmer, but hardly anything. Um, I had my highest mileage ever. So I hit like personal best in terms of weekly mileage. Which I was just biggest. curious, what was your high, highest mileage? Yeah, my highest mileage, um, I go in kilometers I could probably convert that over to miles for you um but it was uh, I was like 193 kilometers so wow yeah that was my my highest ever my average was probably about 170 or 175 um so that was great I'd never done that much mileage before and been this healthy and felt good afterwards and also like energy levels were were quite decent so that that's important and um and I did my longest training run too which we ended up it might have been a bit too much but you're always <laughs> flirting with <laughs> too much and yeah the high performance um I did like a 45 or 46k run like in that build where wow or when I look back I'm like I would never have tried that because I would have been worried that something would break down so that was that was good so I did all that training so I had pretty high hopes in terms of Ottawa but unfortunately we just had a a very warm and humid day that I just wasn't ready for. So sure. when, when those days come and it's fall and you've trained all summer through it, it's, it's not as hard. You can you know, still run a decent time. It's obviously very hard, but your body is adapted to it because it can take like about two weeks or so to get adjusted to heat. So unfortunately I just, I felt really, really um, bad in the last like five or six K I was on like pretty good pace until about 30 or 32. Um, but that's where I just started to get dehydrated, felt a bit dizzy and, um, yeah, it would end up being quite challenging. <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, there's nothing you can do about that. You couldn't acclimate. There was just no way. Well, that's just a good example to show. We tell our runners a lot too, that, mm-hmm. that even elite athletes are affected by the heat. And that's one thing you can't control on race day. And you just have to adjust your goals Yeah, because our bodies have no choice. That's our bodies are going to have to adapt. And, um, it's similar to the years we get hot years in Boston when we train all, all you know, the same, same yep. training cycle over the cold and everyone gets to Boston and there's suddenly a warm day and, Everyone yep. has to adjust their goals. So, so are yeah. you going to capitalize on your stellar training cycle and maybe go for another marathon or <laughs> or shorter distance? Yeah, no, I'm thinking. Um, and on the day, like I was still okay in terms of placing. Like my overall place for the Auto Marathon, I'd come eighth, and I came tenth four years ago. So I improved like my overall placing, which is great because yeah, you just it just shows you do have to adjust. Like you said, you adjust your goals. You're okay with a slower time, and then it's more about like survival and finishing. Oh so. wait, okay. So we have to ask what was your slower time because I'm sure. Oh, sorry. <laughs> it's all it's all relative. It's because yeah. I wanted to run. Like I thought I was in shape to run, and you always like it's a theory. You think you can run this, and then yeah, yeah. the race day is different. But I thought I was in like two thirty four shape. That was like my a goal of which makes of, sense given your um, previous times. Yeah, and so I ran. I think it was like two forty one. That's that's actually. So, I mean, you you probably have Monday morning quarterback this race a lot, but that's truly impressive that you were only about you know nine minutes off your goal from not being acclimated to the heat and humidity. So, and, and placing eighth, I'd say you did a really stellar job in the conditions. Yeah. Well, it's just Thank like, you. it's like Boston uh, 2018 too, where, you know, the winning times were, were obviously much slower than, than the winners mm-hmm. planned, but they, mm-hmm. it's all relative and it's still, 
a super strong performance given the condition. So that your, your placement certainly speaks to that. So, so what's next for you? Thank you. Yeah, I'm, uh, I took a bit of time off and then I'm actually going to do, there's a 10 K we have, it's called the waterfront 10 K and it's part of the Canada running series. So um, I'd like to support that. That's actually this Saturday. So I'm going to jump into 10 K and oh, great. Um, do that just cause like my body felt really good. I recovered after. And I think it's just, again, back to the energy part. I'm, I'm eating really well. So I think that helped. Um, so yeah, I'm going to test out my, my leg speed, do that. Um, there's a 5k the next weekend, which is the pride uh, 5k in Toronto. And so that'll be, uh, that'll be the end of my races for a little bit. I won't race in July and then just kind of regroup, but I wanted to do at least two more just cause I'm still feeling pretty decent. Yeah. And you have all that training that you've done. So kind of yeah. taking advantage and, and, and yeah, yeah, exactly. So, yeah. So, um, we, we want to close out the interview and ask you a question, um, drawing on your expertise as a registered dietitian, as well as your experience. Mm-hmm. And that is, what do you tell runners who are struggling with their weight from either end, whether they feel they need to lose weight or in your case, whether they feel they need to gain weight? Um, what do you tell those runners as they're training and looking around at other runners and comparing their bodies and all of those things that come with the culture of running? Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, that's a great question. I think not comparing yourself that's really really important and that's something that I had to learn obviously the hard way through what I was talking about um because I think I you know I'd, I'd be on the start line or look at other leads and I'm like oh I need to look that way because you know I'm the biggest one here like things like that I think you can never compare that's a, a dangerous road to go down because everybody will run well at their own given you know where they should sort of be at their best weight where you know you're basically at a level where you, you know you're taking in enough calories you're not restricting yourself but you're also at a level where you're able to do um, enough running and enough mileage to sustain that. So I think finding, yeah, your best way for yourself, if you're questioning, you know, where, where I should be at, or you don't really know, I do think it's good to talk to, to professionals if you can, um, whether that's in field, if it, if it is a, a dietitian, you know, talking to your support network, sports doctors who are familiar um, with energy availability, things like that. I think it is um, quite important. And then looking at, so say it's on the lower end where someone um, is missing their cycle, definitely get help early and trying to you know make interventions before it can take a toll on bone health um, I think that's really really important so maybe going through with someone on like you know what are your estimated needs and how much are you taking in and are you you know susceptible to low appetite after workouts like do we need to have a plan for strategic eating or strategic you know recovery snacks um, higher energy on those workout days um, so maybe having someone make a plan with you I think that um can be quite helpful. I do that with my athletes, like just individualize and make sure um, they're meeting their needs. And then, yeah, if you're on the higher end where you think you could benefit um, from some weight loss, you think it would help you in terms of whether that's health or just enjoyment of running. Um, I think, again, it's good to set goals with a person and not and actually like set, you know, behavior goals and, and uh, you know, looking at food quality, but not a weight goal per se, because I think that's an impossible thing to do um, with all clients. Like I just neither of us can really tell, you know, what weight you should be at. It's more looking at, you know, are you getting enough um, calorie intake? Are you getting enough carbohydrates and protein? Looking at those things first and then just seeing other like, you know, things that are coming in that are extra that we can remove just to create, you know, a quite a slight calorie deficit, but um, very, very slight if it's someone who just wants to lose a, a small amount of weight. Yeah. And do you, so you are, you are a registered dietitian, obviously, do you mm-hmm. um, see or uh, take on clients virtually? Do you, you know, remotely people who live here somewhere near us, do you, do you uh, Skype or do you do any, do you take any clients that aren't in your area? 
Um, yeah, with remote stuff, um, right now I've got uh, remote clients where I do, I could definitely set up Skype. I've been doing mostly phone with uh, most of my clients. Some of them are in Toronto, which is at about an hour away from where I'm at in Guelph. Um, so far, I haven't done any in the US. I, I'd have to probably find out how it would work in terms of um, like registration and um, insurance because a lot of people will claim their insurance through dietitian services. Um, I was trained in the U.S. and I, I got my U.S. Um, registration as a dietitian, but I think you have to keep that up. I didn't keep it up. I just have my Canadian one now. Got it. Uh, yeah, I'm not sure how it could work, but I could look into that. So our Canadian listeners, and we do have some, if they mm-hmm. are interested in seeking your services, um, how could they find you? Yeah, so um, my email is probably best. I can give that. So that's um, that's r hannah at u o guelph g u e l p h dot c a. Um, that's probably the, the best way to reach me. Um, there's also the University of Guelph. So I'm at the uh, Health and Performance Center. So going on that website um, also would give information okay. in terms of contact. But yeah, contacting me directly is probably best. That's great. We'll put that um, in the show notes and we'll also put your Instagram handle in the show notes and yeah. any other inf- any other contact information that you would like us to share with our listeners. Yeah, I think uh, Instagram's great. And that's okay. how I've gotten some clients before they sent me a message and then I just get their email and we connect that way. So um, okay. yeah, probably email or Instagram are the best ways um, okay. to contact me. Yeah. Well, you definitely have two fans right here. We um, <laughs> we very much admire you for all that you've accomplished and for being willing to share your story. And I think it's going to inspire a lot of people, regardless of where they are in the weight spectrum, to take a hard look at where they are and recognize that energy mm-hmm. expenditure is what's most important. And we want to preserve our long-term health and not just mm-hmm. the next race time. Absolutely. Yeah. That's a great summary. And that's, uh, yeah, definitely would drive home that message of always look at your long-term health and, and enjoyment in the sport, right? If you, we love something like we all do with running, uh, you want to be able to do it long-term and to minimize, you know, injury risk. Um, I think that's super important. Definitely. Well, Rachel, thank you so much for taking the yeah. time to speak with us. You're terrific. Yeah, no problem. It was a pleasure. Thanks, Thanks Rachel. Take care. Good luck with your 10K and your 5K. Thank you. Bye. Bye.